Service Media Networks. This is America's First News. This morning with your host, Gordon Deal. Potential border crackdown. Good morning, I'm Gordon Deal, along with Nicole Murray on this Thursday, February 22nd. Glad you could be with us. Here's what we have for you this hour. The White House is considering action that could stop people from making asylum claims during surges at the southern border. A bipartisan group of lawmakers might use parliamentary procedures to pass a bill that contains aid for Ukraine. A major U.S. health system is suspending in vitro fertilization treatments after a ruling by the Alabama Supreme Court. And with most Americans lacking a college diploma, can they solve the labor shortage if companies drop degree requirements? 62% of Americans don't have a college degree. That's Americans over the age of 25. That's a, a pretty high number. So if you're not considering those people, whether they have the exact skills for your job or not, you're you're already uh, closing out more than half the population from the jobs that you have. Lauren Weber at the Wall Street Journal on the company's dropping college degree requirements. The fallout continues in the days after the Alabama Supreme Court ruled that frozen embryos qualify as children under a state law. Now a major health system there is suspending in vitro fertilization treatments. We get more from this morning's Mike Gavin. A spokesperson for the University of Alabama at Birmingham says it's said that it will impact patients' attempts to have a baby through IVF, but it must evaluate the potential that patients and physicians could be prosecuted criminally or face punitive damages for following the standard of care for IVF treatments. The UAB spokesperson said all parts of the process through egg retrieval would continue, but egg fertilization and embryo development would be on hold while it assesses the ruling's legal implications. Gordon. Thank you, Mike. IVF involves extracting eggs from a woman, fertilizing them in a lab, and transferring the embryos into the woman's uterus. Ones not immediately transplanted are typically placed in cold storage. The case was brought by several couples whose embryos were destroyed when a patient dropped them on a floor in a fertility clinic's cold storage section. The Biden administration is reportedly considering the use of executive action to tighten asylum restrictions at the southern border. The move would suspend long-time guarantees that give anyone who steps onto U.S. soil the right to ask for safe haven. The order would put into effect a key policy in a bipartisan bill that Republicans blocked earlier this month. GOP Congressman Darrell Issa of California on Fox News. By not pushing them back and keeping them in Mexico, people from Syria and other countries of that sort absolutely cannot be vetted, and yet they're being released. That blocked bill, by the way, would have essentially shut down the border to new entrants if more than an average of 5,000 migrants per day tried to cross unlawfully in the course of a week. The New York Times is reporting that the action under consideration by the White House would have a similar trigger for blocking asylum to new entrants. The move, if enacted, would be similar to a move by the Trump administration in 2018, which was attacked by Democrats and blocked by federal courts. Some lawmakers on both sides of the aisle are preparing a plan B of sorts to force a vote on funding for Ukraine. House Democrats and some Republicans are drafting a special rule that could allow a narrow bipartisan majority to bypass Speaker Mike Johnson, who says the lower chamber will not be pressured into passing a bill from the Senate because it doesn't include border security measures. Here's Deputy Pentagon spokeswoman Sabrina Singh. We are very grateful 
for the contributions that our allies and partners have made all across the world to Ukraine, but they still need U.S. assistance in their fight, and it's critical that they get it at this moment right now. The plans to use rare parliamentary procedures are in the early stages and might never come into play. The preference by Democrats is for Speaker Johnson to allow a vote on the Senate's $95 billion bill to help U.S. allies Ukraine, Israel, and Taiwan and replenish depleted U.S. weapons stocks. Russia is said to be gaining momentum with its invasion of Ukraine, which is short on military equipment after a failed counteroffensive last year. This year, Dell Technologies wants to help you do amazing things with their best tech. For a limited time only, save on select next-gen PCs like the XPS 13 Plus, powered by Intel Core processors and more. Plus, curate your dream setup with great deals on select monitors, mice, and more must-have electronics and accessories. When you shop online at dell.com deals, you'll have access to leading-edge technology to match your forward-thinking spirit and free shipping on everything. Again, that's dell.com deals. Glad you're with us. House Republicans are struggling to get spending bills passed after three stopgap bills to avert shutdowns and lingering disagreements over spending. Passing all 12 annual spending bills one by one appears impossible. The House is on a two-week recess, and when lawmakers return next week, they will only have three working days to prevent a partial government shutdown at midnight March 1st. Here's Alex Miller, Capitol Hill reporter at The Washington Times. Alex, what's going on? So I guess going back to last year, right, one of the one of the big one of the big promises that a lot of conservatives made was, hey, we're going to stick to this thing called regular order. And regular order is almost uh, like a fairy tale in Congress uh, to where, you know, they want to pass the dozen spending bills to fund the government one at a time. Uh, year in and year out uh, for decades, they have relied on this big old catch all spending bill kind of called an omnibus. And the argument was that hey, these bills are cumbersome, they're released in the dead of night, they're thousands of pages long, nobody gets a chance to read them, we don't know what's in there most of the time, so let's do this one at a time. And along with that idea of breaking that cycle, with hey, this could also be a way to trim off some spending and, and lower the budget, because as you know, we've got, I think by last count, $36 trillion in debt, something mm-hmm. something along those lines. Yeah. Um, I wish I had Thomas Massey's little lapel pen. It, it, it tracks it every day. But, um, yeah, so basically that was their idea. They want to come in and do this. But the, the, the same problem still remained. Uh, you had have a razor-thin House Republican majority. You have rebellious folks in the House Freedom Caucus that time and again have rejected <laughs> uh, approaches to spending. Um, and And... You know, you just have lawmakers of, of all different streaks just saying, hey, no, I don't want this or I don't want that in this bill. And, and you're seeing rules for spending bills, which never happens, uh, die on the floor. And it has caused this stalemate in the House to where they haven't considered spending bills since October, uh, November. Wow. We're speaking with Alex Miller, Capitol Hill reporter at The Washington Times. His piece is called New Shutdown Deadline Looms on March 1st. How do lawmakers break this cycle? Is there a way? That's the ultimate question that I, I you know, I, I thought to try to find that in the story, right? And, and really, it seems like their push for regular order might have been the right answer months ago. But so much has gotten in the way, whether it be booting Kevin McCarthy whether it be issues with individual spending bills, impeachment pushes, et cetera, that like it, it's almost become like a carrot on the stick that is moving further and further back 
and they've had to rely now on three short-term spending uh, deals to keep the government afloat while they try to hammer this out. And from uh, folks on, on appropriations committees I've talked to, they keep telling me everything's going great, everything's fine. Um, but time has told me <laughs> in covering this that when they say that, usually it's not going so hot. Uh, I mean, you have Tom Emmer coming out just the other day saying we're not going to do another stopgap. They're on break right now. They come back on, I believe, the 27th, 28th, and they'll just have a handful of days to hit that March 1st deadline. Well, two of the bills that are in that package, that uh, so in the first deadline, they have to get four spending bills done. Two of them have been mired with problems for months, and they seemingly haven't figured those problems out. A long way to answer your question is, I'm just not sure because yeah. <laughs> they they keep putting themselves in a corner. Wow. All right. It, it, do I understand correctly from your story that the last time the federal government had an on-time budget from Congress was 1997? Yes, sir. Yeah. So uh, Pew Research Center had this really great timeline to take a look at uh, where basically since the Budget Act, the current budget system was adopted in 1977, they've only really been able to get regular order completed four times. Uh, now, of course, uh, 1997, weird to think, but almost 30 years ago, right? So since then and in between all those times before, they've relied on an omnibus or a series of um, kind of chunk bills called minibuses, right? They've never really been able to figure out this conundrum. And a lot of that stems from, uh, you know, what, what some folks have pointed out was there's just so many programs that the government has to fund. Thanks, Alex. Alex Miller, Capitol Hill reporter at The Washington Times. 20 minutes after the hour on This Morning, here's Nicole Murray. And now, the three big things you need to know. Number one. House Democrats and select Republicans are preparing fallback plans to force a vote on Ukraine aid, including a special ruling to possibly bypass Speaker Mike Johnson. Deputy Pentagon Press Secretary Sabrina Singh says inactivity has had catastrophic consequences overseas. It's because of, of congressional inaction that you've had to see, unfortunately, Ukraine make the calculation for a strategic withdrawal from Avdivka. Um, because we were not able to get them more ammunition, more artillery, uh, the air defenses that they need, they did have to make that strategic decision to pull back. Democrats' preference is for Johnson to allow a vote on the Senate's $95 billion package to provide financial aid to U.S. allies such as Ukraine, Israel, and Taiwan. Number two. A major Alabama health system is suspending in vitro fertilization treatments days after the state Supreme Court ruled frozen embryos qualify as children. The ruling will allow three couples to sue for wrongful death under a state law after their frozen embryos were accidentally destroyed at a fertility clinic. Number three. Wisconsin authorities believe a missing three-year-old boy has been abducted from a Two Rivers home and is in imminent danger. Police say Elijah View was last seen Tuesday morning. Two Rivers Police Chief Ben Minert. Elijah is approximately three feet tall, 45 to 55 pounds, with brown eyes and dark blonde hair. He was wearing dark colored sweatpants and shoes with a dinosaur print. There are no descriptions of any potential suspects. President Biden has announced a $1.2 billion in student debt for roughly 153,000 borrowers will be forgiven for those enrolled in the SAVE program. I'm happy to have been able to forgive these loans because when we realize and relieve Americans of their student debt, 
They're free to chase their dreams. The relief will apply to those who have made payments for at least a decade and originally took out $12,000 or less. Beyonce has become the first black woman to score a number one hit on the Billboard's Hot Country Songs with Texas Hold'em. It is the lead single off Beyonce's upcoming album, which drops March 29th. Wow. Impressive. Are you you a Beyonce fan? Uh, Well. Part of the Bay High? Okay, no. Not part of the Bayhive. No, not a loyal, respect, diehard Respect fan. the efforts. Own, no, <laughs> own none of the music. Thanks, Nicole. Pure opportunity. It's what Michigan is all about. The opportunity to do more. The opportunity for all businesses to reach their full potential. Visit michiganbusiness.org slash radio to discover all the ways the MEDC is helping Michigan thrive. Glad you're with us. Tired of struggling with the new federal financial aid form? Yeah, colleges are too. So a handful of them across the country have launched their own financial aid forms. Here's Medora Lee, personal finance reporter at USA Today. Medora, explain. So here's what schools have decided to do. They, some, of, some schools around the country have decided they, they, to build their own short financial aid forms. So students who are interested in going to that school or who have been admitted already can fill this out and get and they will and they have a turnaround of about a week or two um, and it's basically asking the same information that the federal uh, financial aid form asks it kind of mirrors that basically Um, and they can determine your aid and so some schools will give you a breakdown of what aid you will get institutional federal government loans whatever so you can at least have an idea of the cost of going to that school um, and other schools are actually guaranteeing part of that aid, the aid that's coming from the schools, the institutional aid, um, need-based and merit-based. They are willing to guarantee that amount as long as all the information that you provide is accurate. Um, and then you would still have to complete the FAFSA if you need to round out your aid and get some federal money. Wow. So it's like schools have just taken this into their own hands. Yeah. They can't wait forever. They need to also button down their enrollment. So it's a win-win for everyone, I think. Wow. We're speaking with Medora Lee, personal finance reporter at USA Today. Her story is called, Some Colleges Offer Students Their Own Aid Forms After FAFSA Delays Frustrate Families. Um, so, it, But it's more work for families, right? Now we're filling out uh, two forms at, at a minimum in some cases. Yeah, I mean, you still have to fill out the FAFSA, but you get some financial clarity to be able to make some decisions, right? So, um, and, and basically the information is the same anyway, because the forms mirror each other. Okay. So it wouldn't be too hard to, you know, fill out the, the other form, when, on the federal form when it's available, and then get that aid. All right, so some, some schools have further reduced the amount of questions that might be asked on the FAFSA form. I think you referenced uh, Assumption University in Worcester, Massachusetts, down to 12 questions. That's it? I know. I know. Wow. I'm not exactly sure how they're doing that, but, they, but that's what the, the um, administrator told me, that it's, in, it's even shorter. Um, you know, they just basically need to know your income um, and, you know, kind of your financial situation to make that determination. So maybe there's some extra questions in there that they don't need or that can be verified later um, when, when the government is fully up and running um, its processes. Here's an important point, too. So one of the biggest frustrations with the government form is that people who have parents who don't have a social security number have been completely locked out of the FAFSA form. They cannot even complete it because they can't get their parents verified. And so 
um, all of the schools I spoke to said, if you're a student and your parents don't have a social security number, you can fill out our form. Thanks, Medora. Medora Lee, personal finance reporter at USA Today. What does the future of mobility in Michigan sound like? It's the sound of new EV charging stations at our state parks. Discover all the ways MEDC is driving next-gen mobility in Michigan at michiganbusiness.org slash radio. The news without the nonsense. You're listening to America's First News this morning with Gordon Deal. Thanks for being with us. Welcome into Thursday, February 22. Gordon Deal, Nicole Murray. Some of our top stories and headlines, the White House considering executive action to restrict asylum claims at the southern border. Biden administration wants billions for the domestic manufacturing of cargo cranes, saying ones from China pose a national security risk. Shares of NVIDIA up sharply after it reported a tripling of sales. New records show President Biden's banished German shepherd was involved in at least 25 biting incidents in less than a year. College football could move to a 14-team playoff in 2026. And the scars that bonded a young student and her teacher. That story in about 20 minutes. This portion of the program is brought to you by UMA. Big telecoms are shutting down traditional landlines, driving up the price of home phone service. Switch to UMA and start saving. Visit OOMA.com to learn more. American companies are hung up on the diploma. Facing a long-term labor shortage, employers are looking to expand the pool of potential workers. One group, people without a college degree, holds particular promise. Analysis from Lauren Weber, workplace reporter at The Wall Street Journal. Lauren, what are you hearing? Well, I think it's driven by two things. One is that companies have a lot of openings that they can't fill. We have a very low unemployment rate right now. It doesn't look like it's going up anytime soon. And companies have a lot of open jobs. So for one thing, they need to expand their pool of workers that they're choosing from. Second, 62% of Americans don't have a college degree. That's Americans over the age of 25. That's a, a pretty high number. So if you're not considering those people, whether they have the exact skills for your job or not, you're, you're already uh, closing out more than half the population from the jobs that you have. You name some of the companies in your story that are starting to eliminate degree requirements. Who's doing what here? There are many large companies that have signed on to this, and they're helped by a, a few different like nonprofit organizations that are kind of helping them through this process. But IBM was one of the original companies to start doing this. Um, some of the ones that a few of the companies I spoke to were um, Delta Airlines, Medtronic, which makes medical devices, Bank of America. But it goes way beyond that. I mean, name almost any big company, and they've signed on to some version of this, General Motors, Walmart, Google. So a lot of companies are doing it now. It's, it's not an easy process. It's not like you just go in and take that off the job description. You have to uh, get a lot of people involved in trying to figure out, okay, well, well what are the real skills we need for this job? If, if a college degree isn't the right proxy, is there a different credential we have to look for, maybe an associate's degree or a certificate? So, you know, and then you have to change your automated hiring systems, the technology that often screens people out. You have to fix that so that it's not automatically screening people out if they don't have the degree. So, and then most importantly, you have to train hiring managers to look for different things when they're extending job offers. Mm. We're speaking with Lauren Weber, workplace reporter at the Wall Street Journal. Her story is called 62% of Americans lack a college degree. Can they solve 
the labor shortage. All right, so given some of the changes that have been put in place by some of these big companies, um, are we answering the question in the headline? Is this solving the labor shortage? Like, like are these changes helping these companies? Well, there's the rub. Um, it turns out it's pretty easy to take. I mean, it's not easy. It is a lengthy process to, to, to take that degree requirement off of a job description in a smart way. What what researchers are finding, because this movement, it's called, called skills-based hiring, it's been going on for uh, five years, maybe 10 years for the real pioneers. Um, it's not actually yielding a lot of new job opportunities for people who are newly eligible for these jobs. So what's happening is that companies are making the commitments, they're making the changes internally, but they're not actually making job offers to a different set of people. Uh, the research that we cited found that of about 100 jobs that are now open to people without degrees, those without degrees are only hired around three or four times out of that 100. So, you know, we're not seeing a big movement inside companies. But that doesn't mean, you know, it's not important and it won't eventually gather steam. I think that's the hope is that eventually this will become part of the culture at companies where it hasn't been the culture for a long time. Well, I guess it, it might be forced to change only because I think, as you said in the story, like college enrollment generally is down. It is. Fewer people are enrolling in college, and that's because, you know, it, it costs a lot of money. It's um, People don't see it as the great investment it used to be. Now, it is still a very good investment. There's still a premium for people who have a college degree in the job market. But it's you know, for given the cost of it, I think fewer people are seeing that value. And so there's a lot of questioning of you know, whether or not it's necessary to go to college. Finish up, if you would, and talk about uh, how you how you brought time and demographics into the conversation here with regards to the workplace. Yeah, well, you know, co companies have to figure out how to fill these open jobs. And so they have to get creative. And I see a lot of examples of this, people making more effort to hire uh people who might have a, a prison record or people with disabilities. Remote work has been great for hiring people with disabilities. So there are a lot of different ways that companies can think about their labor shortages creatively. Thanks, Lauren. Lauren Weber, workplace reporter at The Wall Street Journal. Meanwhile, a new analysis from a group called the Burning Glass Institute finds roughly half of college grads end up in jobs where their degrees are not needed. Today's mic drop is brought to you by Dell. For your small business needs, call a Dell Technologies advisor today at 877-ASK-DELL. Thanks for spending time with us. Welcome into Friday Eve. It is time now for the mic drop with this morning's Mike Gavin. Good morning. Well, we know it's prime breakfast eating time, but if you're about to chow down, you might want to hold off for a few minutes while we relay a couple of pretty gross pieces of news. Let's start in Florida, where a man there finally figured out what was bugging him the past few months. Jacksonville doctors removed 100 150 live bugs in the larva stage from his nose and sinuses earlier this month. The unidentified man had been feeling off since October, but it wasn't until his face and lips swelled up two weeks ago that he sought help at HCA Florida Memorial Hospital. After making the gruesome discovery, doctors tried to remove the bugs with suction, but then that got clogged, so they used different instruments to pluck them out. Doctors said the man sought help just in time since some of the creepers were right up against the man's skull base right under his brain and if they had gone through, they could have killed him. Now, before we all run to the mirror to look up our noses at the slightest tickle or itch, you should know that this man may have been predisposed to such a bizarre thing happening since he had a cancerous tumor removed from his nose 30 years ago, leaving him with open spaces in the nasal cavity and a weakened immune system. That 
that makes you susceptible to this? I guess because he had extra space up there. I, okay, I guess, is what as, 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 a, as I can gather here. Yeah. So that means that the bugs can make their way up anybody's nose. They just don't always stay. Right. Then, yeah. I mean, I, I assume uh, you know not to get again too gross. I yeah. assume all of us probably have a certain amount of bugs that make their way up there oh, at some point when we're out in nature. Yeah. Right. But they don't uh, form. You know, they don't start a home and a whole colony there while they're while they're hanging out. I mean, you said that they they could have killed him if this yeah. had gone untreated. That's yeah. unbelievable. Yeah. Because they were getting a little too close to his brain. It appears. Man, is this a reason then to pick your nose, perhaps? Uh, sure. Just if you were looking just, for a reason. Yeah, just to dig out yeah. some stuff, you know? I, I know you've been looking for one. Yeah. This might be your opening. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> and if you thought that licking ice cream and putting it back in the freezer case was gross behavior, get ready for this. A man in Texas was arrested last week for walking the aisles at two antique shops and putting items on the shelves up his butt. The man's alleged to have walked into both shops in spring wearing a kilt where he was observed placing them where the sun don't shine and then putting them back on the shelves, presumably so unsuspecting shoppers would purchase them. Some of the items the 60-year-old is accused of contaminating include a makeup brush, an antique bottle opener, and a tobacco tent can with the total cost of the items a little over $200. The items, of course, had to be thrown away due to contamination. Mm. What goes what goes through somebody's mind? I'm not sure. And I, you know, the most surprising part of this whole thing is that he was 60 years old. Yeah, this is not something. You know, we we did the story about the licking the ice cream and putting yeah. it back in the freezer case. Right. Those were you know 20 somethings, and that's the kind of behavior you generally might expect from 20 somethings. 60 year old? Not sure what's going on there. Yeah, uh, perhaps more than we could diagnose. Right, most a, likely a, without uh, professional guidance on right. uh, a story like this. Well, most likely, yes. Oh my goodness! Thank you, Mike. Wow, well, you're back with a yeah, bang. Yeah, happy to be back with the ick factor right out. <laughs> Out of the gates. Yep. If you still have landline phone service, you may have noticed that your monthly bills have been skyrocketing. That's because the FCC no longer regulates copper lines and phone companies are jacking up the price of their service. UMA is an internet home phone service that lets you keep enjoying the safety and peace of mind of a home phone without paying an arm and a leg. In fact, with a one time purchase of the UMA Tello, you get internet home phone service for free. All you pay are applicable taxes and fees. Unlike mobile phones, UMA has address-based 911, so dispatchers will know exactly where to find you in an emergency. In the event you call 911, UMA can send a text alert to loved ones. UMA even includes a free mobile app so you can take your home number on the go. And don't worry, you can keep your home phone number for a one-time fee or get a new one for free. Setup is easy. It takes less than 10 minutes. Stop paying too much for home phone service. Visit UMA.com slash GordonDeal today to get a special discount. That's O-O-M-A dot com slash GordonDeal. Hey, thanks for being with us. The average new car sold for better than $47,000 last, last month. That's a 2.6% drop from December. Prices have been trending downward for roughly six months as automakers are sweetening deals to keep the sales flowing. Prices are coming down because inventory levels are rising. MarketWatch says when most dealers have plenty of cars in stock, they have to offer incentives to compete with one another for your business. Meanwhile, the average price paid for a new electric vehicle Last month was more than $55,300, but EV prices have fallen nearly 11% compared to year-ago numbers. EV incentives for many models have risen more than threefold in the past 12 months. That's happening despite the federal government effectively reducing its EV incentives with strict new rules against sourcing critical battery minerals from China. 
eight minutes now in front of the hour on this morning. Once again, here's Nicole Murray. And now, the three big things you need to know. Number one. President Biden is considering executive action that would make it more difficult for migrants who illegally enter the U.S. to seek asylum. California Congressman Daryl Issa is on board. By not pushing them back and keeping them in Mexico, people from Syria and other countries of that sort absolutely cannot be vetted, and yet they're being released. No official decisions have been made. Number two. Jackson, Mississippi Police Chief Joseph Wade said three suspects are in custody after officers seized multiple stolen firearms and two stolen vehicles. Wade added police are actively searching for at least three additional suspects who fled into the woods. We have a daycare behind me. We have a high school right here. We have a community where people shopping in the area. We do not need armed individuals running afoot here in South Jackson. No identities have been released. Number three. A man suspected in the brutal killing of a woman inside a New York City hotel earlier this month has been arrested. Police say 26-year-old Rod Almansori is being charged with two stabbings in Arizona where he is being held. Maricopa County Attorney Rachel Mitchell. He is being held without bond, meaning there is no amount of money that he can post to get out of custody at this point. Mitchell also indicated that Almansori will not be released to NYPD custody if convicted in Arizona and will face a mandatory prison sentence. Alabama has asked the state Supreme Court to approve the second nitrogen hypoxia execution for inmate Alan Eugene Miller. This comes just one month after Alabama executed Kenneth Eugene Smith using the method for the first time in U.S. history. Miller, who was originally sentenced to death via lethal injection, was given the death penalty after being convicted of a 1999 workplace shooting that killed three people. A scientist agreed to live underwater in a 180-square-foot capsule for 100 days to reveal the effects water has on the human body. At the end of the experiment, he appeared to age backwards. Thanks to an increased number of stem cells, he reappeared looking 10 years younger. Come on. 10 years? Ten after years. 100 days? They were showing the, the you know, they zoomed in of yeah. what it does to the DNA, okay. and it kind of, like, grew back. Whoa. So, like, grab your swimmies. <gasps> I was going to say, there there goes, it's the end of like women's skincare products. Just I, go underwater for 100 days, right? I'm pretty sure I just heard wow. everyone cannonball. <laughs> this year, Dell Technologies wants to help you do amazing things with their best tech. For a limited time only, save on select next-gen PCs like the XPS 13 Plus, powered by Intel Core processors and more. Plus, curate your dream setup with great deals on select monitors, mice, and more must-have electronics and accessories. When you shop online at dell.com slash deals, you'll have access to leading-edge technology to match your forward-thinking spirit and free shipping on everything. Again, that's dell.com slash deals. Thanks for being with us. A six-year-old girl and her kindergarten teacher have something very special in common, matching scars from their open-heart surgeries. Kennedy Vogt is a student at Lake Highland Preparatory School in Orlando, Florida, where her teacher, Carlene Honor, also went heart surgery. Fox News says the school intentionally paired them up. Vote was just five years old when a trip to the emergency room for flu and pneumonia led to the surprise diagnosis of a hole in her heart. The girl's doctor describes it as a rare congenital heart defect that doesn't usually cause complications during childhood but can lead to heart and lung disease in adulthood if untreated. In May last year, young Kennedy had open-heart surgery. Just three days in the hospital, she was back to her normal activities like practicing cartwheels. Kennedy formed a fast connection with her teacher, who needed open-heart surgery, 
after a heart attack five years ago. That'll do it for this hour. For Nicole Murray and Mike Gavin, I'm Gordon Deal. Thanks for listening to This Morning, America's First News.